Thank you for joining us for the Ravenswood Baptist Church Podcast with Pastor Dustin Moore. We are a Bible-believing, grace-driven church located on the north side of Chicago. As a church, we are passionate about making disciples of all people for the glory of God. If you would like more information about our ministry, visit ravenswoodbaptist.org. Now, here's Pastor Dustin. Mark chapter 3 this morning, Mark 3, verses 31 to 35 is our text. Mark 3, verses 31 to 35. You know, another good reason being faithful to church uh, is to stay engaged with the Word of God, to stay engaged with the Word of God. As we go through the summer, we're going to continue to work our way through Mark's gospel. And uh, the point in going through a book like this for us is that we have a steady feeding of God's Word without bouncing around to different places. Uh, A consistent feeding of God's Word. You know, when I was a a kid, I've got three older brothers. I've got two younger sisters. And uh, the Moore house, my mom and dad had a rule. Let me tell you about my, my upbringing for just a moment. In the summertime, we had a big house. It was like a farm at our house. Not really a farm, but it was like a farm. And that was just the kids. Um... But uh, in all seriousness, uh, we, uh, we would uh, wake up on, on uh, summer mornings and around the Morehouse, my dad was a big believer in the children contributing in the house. And so it was required that until you had a job, a summer job, so old enough to have a summer job, you, you were up by, by eight, you had eaten breakfast, you had made your bed, you had done whatever else you wanted to do, but at nine o'clock you had to report to mom. And from 9 to noon, you had to work around the house. And a lot of us, so it meant doing laundry, cleaning the swimming pool, cleaning the basement, cleaning the garage, folding laundry, ironing clothes. I mean, you're talking, you're talking, my parents were brutal. I mean, this was like every day. We had to work. What planet were they from, right? But at noon, this was the rule. If the weather permitted in Northwest Indiana, and most summer mornings did, or most summer days did, obviously, at noon, you were out of the house until 4. So that meant you go to the park, you, you swim in the pool, you do something, but you're not allowed in the house. It was mom's quiet time from 12 to 4. I mean, you said, what would you do for water? You know what we did. We drank out of the hose, right? And uh, you, you know, you can, you can withstand a lot if you drank out of a hose in the summertime. Um, but I'll never forget, we uh, were out one night. We didn't come home at 4. We didn't have to come home at 4. We had to be home by dinner. So we were out riding bikes and doing all the things that I think kids need to do in the summer, sweating and running around and, and doing things. We were not playing video games back in the 80s and 90s. And one summer day, we went for a bike ride, and we didn't get home till about 6 o'clock. Me and my brother and a couple of our friends had come back from this bike ride. We walked in the house, and Dad was in the kitchen. And Dad said, what's the rule, boys? And if you knew my dad, you know, it it actually went more like this. What's the rule, boys? The rule was, mom worked on dinner, you showed up for dinner. Mom worked to prepare a meal, and don't you dare disrespect mom and not show up for the meal. Say, why do you even say that? Because God has a meal for us every time we gather. It's not about me, it's about God's word. Every time we gather We want to feast on the meal God has for us in Scripture. 
So I encourage you to come ready for the meal. You're ready to eat. We teach our children the, the Word of God is the most important gift we've been given. And so we want to be people of God's Word. And so that's why we do what we do here with the Gospel of Mark and through the Scripture. Today's passage is one that Today's passage is one that we have to wrestle with. It's, it's, I'm going to tell you right now, it's going to maybe force you to have some questions. It's good for us. God's not intimidated by your question or my questions. And the only way to properly apply what we have is through a gospel framework. What Jesus says here is rather unnerving to us if we think it through as we study it. I told you last week, no person in human history has been misunderstood like Jesus. He, here in Mark 3, has been standing in the face of accusation. I told you last week, the theme of the text last week was accusation. He's standing in the face of accusation from his close friends, and even the religious leaders of the day were accusing him. It was a soul-crushing moment for Jesus. We were trying to humanize that last week so that we understood what's it like to be told by your best friends that you've lost your mind. That literally the language of the text was his friends thought he was beside himself. He needed to be checked into an asylum. The religious leaders wanted to destroy him. And that's where Jesus, like anybody who's a person of faith, finds some of their most lasting formation of identity is in family and religious leaders. And so in every human way, we can understand the unbelievable pain that Jesus faces as those that were to provide him encouragement and safety were actually accusing him and turning on him. Then amidst all the chaos of Mark 3, we don't want to forget that when we see the crowd here, we need to remember the crowd is massive. So massive that in verse 20, the multitude was coming together. The, the Bible said, and the multitude cometh together again so that they could not so much as eat bread. The crowd was so big in Mark 3 that Jesus and his disciples could not even eat. In, they couldn't even eat in quiet. They couldn't even eat in peace. And inside of this massive crowd, we find, we need to understand this for context here, we find the 12. We learned about them in chapter 3. We find the twelver in that crowd. We find the Pharisees. We find the, 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 the scribes. We find the Herodians, those who have sold their soul to a government official named Herod. The Herodians are there. The Pharisees are there. The family and friends of Jesus are there. His disciples are there. Now, here it is that in this crowd as well, you have people that are sick and they want to be healed. There's some that are just enamored by the teaching of a religious leader. So they're there to hear his teaching. There's people here who are simply, if I, can, if I can say, enamored or intrigued with this man, Jesus. Curious is maybe a better word. And here it is that this multitude, this crowd is pressing on him. Somewhere in that crowd is the mother and brothers of Jesus. The text calls them brethren, so we suppose brothers, but we don't know much about the human family of Jesus other than what the New Testament gives us, but 
They're there along with his closest friends, as verse 21 said that his friends were there. His friends heard of it. They went out to lay hold on him to take him away because he was beside himself. The language of friends in the text, I told you last week, literally is the closest people to him. This is everybody that makes up this large crowd. It's not just strangers. And at this point, we're going to see how Jesus engages his family. I titled the message today, The Family Man. Jesus, the family man. I think you'll see why in a moment. I want you to look with me at verses 31 to 35. I'm going to read it, and then we'll continue on into the text. We'll be rather brief and move quickly today, but look at verse 31. There came then his brethren and his mother, and standing without, sent unto him, calling him. And the multitude sat about him, and they said unto him, Behold, thy mother and thy brethren without seek for thee. And he answered, said, he answered them, saying, Who is my mother or my brethren? And he looked round about on them which sat about him, and said, Behold, my mother and my brethren. For whosoever shall do the will of God, the same is my brother and my sister and mother. Many times when Jesus speaks, he speaks in a way that shocks the culture around him. The gospel is always an affront to culture. doesn't matter the difference of cultures. Every culture has a juxtaposition and a confrontation with the gospel of Jesus Christ. In this day, it would be important for you and I to understand the sacredness of the family in Hebrew culture. Most Christians understand the origins of the Hebrew picture of family from the Old Testament. So what Jesus has said in this moment is shocking. I mean, once again, it would be asked and could be asked and it might have been uttered around by the crowd is, has this man lost his mind? Has this man lost his mind? Mark 3 has been telling us some things. It's been telling us that Jesus has absolutely shredded the religious fabric of Israel. In his teaching, in his confrontations with the religious leaders, he shredded the religious fabric of Israel. And now it seems, in verses 31 to 35, that Jesus has created some confusion about the central cultural institution, and that's the family. Jesus asks this audacious question, who is my mother or my brother? And so in this moment, we find an interesting point regarding the family, but most specifically, not the physical nuclear family, but we find an explanation about the family of God and what it means to be included in this family. Surely you have heard the language of, well, we are all God's children, right? Some pastors, theologians, teachers teach what is called universalism. There's a universal saving is the idea that every person will eventually be saved. Notice the words of a universalist. I'll let him describe it for himself. Keith DeRose said, 
Universalism refers to the position that eventually all human beings will be saved and will enjoy everlasting life with Christ. This is universalism. But Scripture stands opposed to this view. Regardless of how many sophisticated arguments or unsophisticated arguments are presented by people like DeRose, Jesus in this text dismantles universalism as he addresses not only his family, but the crowd that is looking on. And so, as we engage the text for the next 20 minutes or so, it would be good for us to ask this very simple question today. You ready? And that is this. What message is Jesus trying to get across to his followers in this passage? Simple question. What message about the family is Jesus trying to get across to his followers in this passage? We're going to answer it by two statements, and we'll give some clarifying statements to follow these. Let me give you the first one. Ready? Jesus' family is not a physical family. Jesus' family is not a physical family. Looking back on the text with me, let's try to absorb absorb what's going on. Verse 31, there came then his brethren and his mother and standing without sent unto him, calling him. And the multitude sat about him and they said unto him, behold, thy mother and thy brethren without seek for thee. Now the apparent context is of this passage is Jesus probably in or outside Capernaum. If he's still at that house from last week and trying to eat, then he's at a house in Capernaum. He's already been addressed by his close friends. Last week, he's crazy, he's lost his mind, along with the Pharisees who want to destroy him. And now his brothers and mother are there. Remember, the trip from Nazareth, where his family's from, to Capernaum is over 30 miles. So now the crisis is not just family thinks he's, friends think he's crazy, and the religious leaders want to kill him, but now his family is deeply concerned. Mark says that they're calling him in verse 31. They're standing without, they're outside of the crowd and they're calling him. I'm not sure what they're saying, but I don't know if they're saying, hey, Jesus, can you you just come here for a minute? We really, really need to talk to you. Can we speak privately? Um, Mom is really concerned about you, Jesus. She's heard some things that you said and done. Or Jesus' mom might be, maybe there's an emotional scene where she's, so concerned because they're pressing on Jesus. She doesn't want anything to happen to him, that she's weeping and, and, and she's calling for him. I don't really know what that looks like. But the crowd there in verse 32 says, Behold thy mother and thy brethren without seek for thee. The crowd is like, hey, hey, Jesus, your family's looking for you. Jesus, your mom and your brothers, they want to speak to you now. Jesus asked this question. Verse 33, and he answered them saying, who's my mother and my brother? Now, once again, this is really hard for us to do sometimes. Put yourself in the moment, especially some of you moms. Put yourself in that moment. Kent Hughes notes that Mary, the one who nursed Jesus, dressed Jesus, loved Jesus all the way to his manhood, now had come to him in a motherly concern for whatever reason. And in this moment, when Jesus says, who is my mother? 
in that moment, imagine how crushed Mary is. As Jesus apparently is dismissing, it seems, he's dismissing his family. Or his brothers, as they're sitting there thinking, did he just push us aside? And so let's ask some questions about this. First off, does Jesus not care about his physical family? That's a good question to ask about this. Is Jesus showing a lack of concern? I mean, is his mission for the Heavenly Father so big that he could care less about his family? Cast my mother aside, cast my brothers aside. And the answer to that is absolutely not. That would be a misrepresentation of the passage and of Jesus' teaching. But surely we can understand how Mary and Jesus' brothers might feel that way. But the the whole of the life of Jesus speaks to the deep love that he has for his family. I mean, in his death, in John chapter 19, Jesus was sure to care for his mom by telling John to behold, behold thy mother in John 19. To Mary, behold thy son. I mean, Jesus wanted to make sure that his mom was cared for after his death and his resurrection. And so he says to John the Apostle, take care of my mom. And John took her into his home from that point forward. Jesus' own view of parenting was so high that he spoke to this in his ministry. And he said that in Mark chapter 7, we'll see in, in several months, that whosoever whoso curseth father or mother, let him die the death, the death that the law required. Jesus' point is here is that it matters to honor father and mother. So you might be sitting there going, well then, when Jesus says, that's not my mom, is Jesus being dishonoring to his mom? Well, if that's the case, Jesus is a sinner. And he can't be your savior. Right? This is where we don't want to check our brain at the door when we study God's word. And so in this, Jesus is is he showing that he doesn't care about his physical family? Well, along with that, we know that his brothers didn't believe on him. John 7, verse 5. It wasn't until after the resurrection, by the way, how incredibly loving of Jesus to view or to, to be viewed by or to visit his brothers after the resurrection. 1 Corinthians 15 tells us that he was seen of James, who is his brother. Jesus made sure to visit his brother after the resurrection. James, the brother of the Lord. Jude, the half-brother of the Lord, became a Christian after the resurrection. Jesus absolutely loved his family. By the way, after the resurrection, after the ascension, Acts chapter 1 tells us this in verse 14. These all continued with one accord in prayer and supplication with the women, notice these next words, and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and with his brethren. Mary's there, and now all of his brothers are there participating in this new movement that's going to become the church. And so does Jesus not care about his physical family is an absolute misrepresentation, and I would say a misapplication of this passage. Jesus cared about his loved, uh, cared about and loved his family so much that he made sure his mom was cared for at the cross and that his siblings believed on him after the resurrection. Okay, so if Jesus in this text doesn't tell us to dismiss our physical family, then the second question we would ask is Jesus justifying separating from family. 
Is Jesus justifying a Christian ever walking away from his family or her family to be a better Christian or to participate in a more Christian way of living? Is that what Jesus, is he justifying walking away from family? And again, the absolute definitive answer is no. But we do know and we do understand that the gospel has a separating effect on family at times. Luke chapter 12 and verse 51. And Jesus says, Suppose ye that I am come to give peace on earth, I tell you nay, but rather division. For from henceforth there shall be five in one house divided, three against two, two against three. The father shall be divided against the son, and the son against the father, the mother against the daughter, and the daughter against the mother, the mother-in-law against her daughter-in-law, and the daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. What's Jesus saying here? What is the understanding of his words and actions? He's showing us that nobody becomes a member of the family of God by physical, familial connection, that the gospel will often be a separating. But here's what Jesus is saying specifically in this text. Listen very carefully. Jesus is reminding us that physical family connection does not make one a member of God's family. Let me speak even more bluntly to that. Christianity is not a specific race or cultural background. The family of God is not a physical reality, but a spiritual reality. The family that Jesus is speaking of here in this text is a uniting of people from every background, every ethnicity, every economic situation, every religious background. It brings together zealots and tax collectors and thieves and murderers and liars and cheats and legalists and self-righteous religionists and all kinds of other sinners just like you and me, that the family of God is not a physical family, but it's a spiritual family that brings together people from all over the known world and from every situation. You're not in the family of God because your dad and mom are. You're not in the family of God because you grew up in church. You're not in the family of God because you claim to be a Christian. By the way, I think it's a good time for us to just stop and, and parents, take note. Your faith does not get transmitted to your child because of proximity or genetics. Growing up in church does not make one a Christian. Growing up in a Christian home does not make one a Christian. And if you succeed at having a close family relationally, but your kids have no closeness with Jesus, I would ask you, have you succeeded? I want you to think with me this morning. This is where I told you, this is going to make us kind of uncomfortable, but if you, have, if you have succeeded at having this wonderful family life at home, but your kids don't know Jesus, don't love Jesus, don't walk with Jesus, mom and dad, have you succeeded? Have I succeeded if my son can throw a baseball but doesn't know Jesus? Have I succeeded if my kids get into the best schools but don't know Jesus? I mean, this is the point of the text. You're not in the family of God because you're, of a physical connection, and that's what Jesus is pointing at here. He's pointing here in his question. Are you ready? Listen very carefully. 
There is a family that is of eternal significance, lasting for all eternity, and that is the family of God. I'm going to say it again. There is a family that is of eternal significance, lasting for all eternity, and that's the family of God. And that's what Jesus is beginning to tell us. We should know this if we've studied Scripture. In heaven, in the eternal state, Jesus is asked, will there be marriage in heaven? Will I know my children in heaven? Will I be dad in heaven? Will I be a husband in heaven? The point is, those relationships will begin to cease. They will cease. But there is one family that's eternal. And again, I feel like I'm being that very direct, punchy pastor and saying to the families of our church, be careful about how you handle your physical family and prioritizing it above the spiritual family. Say, why? Because your family, listen, parents, husbands, wives, listen. Your family, your physical family is to be a picture that is superseded by the reality that will be experienced in eternity. Your physical family is to be a picture that is superseded by the reality that will be experienced in eternity. Let me say this to you in the most simplistic of terms. Your family, your physical family, husband, wife, mom, dad, children, teenagers, your family is to be a picture that shows your children what the family of God in eternity will look like. That's the biblical context. If we understood this, and if we understand this, church would stop being an event that we show up to if we're available, and it would start being a family meeting where we are fed by the word like family dinner, where we fellowship with one another like a family party. We bring our gifts and our passions to bless the family, the eternal family, the family that's not going to die and cease and stop existing. When we come to the church, we are participating with one another. And this is the beginning of an eternal participation. It's the family of God. So we teach our kids about eternity when we bring them to the family of God. When we participate in the family of God. When we make the word of God the, the necessary spiritual food of our life. When we fellowship with one another like we would at a family event. We're showing our children what the family of God is going to look like in eternity. I hope we get this, guys. I hope we start to grab a hold of this. Because it will change how we parent. This family is a, a dynamic body. We interact with this family. We weep with our brother. We pray with our sister. This is a, a, we have siblings in the faith that we need and that we meet with, we, we help meet that need. And, I, and I, I, I tread so carefully because I know that what I'm about to say unsettles so many in this church. But hear me, for, for over 20 years now, I have watched Christian families continue to be selfish and idolatrous with their family. That's a gift from God. Husband, your wife is a gift from God. Husband and wife, your, your family is a gift from God. Not for you to be selfish with them, but for you to steward them for the Lord. 
for the Lord. They're a gift from God that you give back to God in the way you parent. Praying and teaching that they come into the spiritual family. I mean, Mark 8. What shall it profit a man if he shall gain the whole world and lose his own soul? And what does it profit my children if they gain the whole world and lose their own soul? I, I, I'm sorry to be that guy. I wonder if anybody's listening this morning. What does it profit? If our children get everything in this life, but they, they don't come to faith in Jesus. If they don't learn what it means to participate in the spiritual family of God, what do we give them? I tread so carefully, but dad, you are not the end goal for your kid. And mom, neither are you. God is the end goal. God is the end goal. And that's what Jesus is showing us here. He's showing us the way in which the Physical family and the spiritual family are to engage. Parents, our job, my job, your job, is to point your children to a better father, Dad. To point them to a better father. Mom is to take them to a sure and stable word of Scripture. If your child comes to you for advice and there's never a drawing of Scripture, what are we teaching them? What are we saying to them? We're to take our children to their big brother Jesus, to their eternal family. That's their mission because the day's going to come when my children don't have mom and dad. The day's going to come where I'm not here to feed them, to correct them, to advise them. My role becomes less control and more influence, less oversight and just influence. And when I'm dead and gone, I hope that all four of my children are a part of the family of God and know what it means to be in the church. i got to move past this. I feel like three of you guys are with me this morning. And I, I'm not, I am not at all trying to be unkind, but I am afraid that we in our day... We idolize everything about our family instead of treating family as a gift from a gracious God. A gift from a gracious God. I don't own my wife. I don't own my kids. My wife doesn't own me. We all six belong to the Lord. We're not to worship our marriage, we're not to worship our kids. And that's Jesus' point here. Maybe you're sitting here, by the way, I sat right over there this week and I thought, this is a really tough pill to swallow. If you're frustrated, I was frustrated this week. I'm thinking, Jesus, what are you teaching this for? This is hard for us because our visual reality of life in this world, but Jesus knows there's a need to realign our worship and to realign our love. So let's move to the second statement. Is it a physical family? No, it's not a physical family. It's a spiritual family. And the physical family exists for God's spiritual family. Secondly, Jesus' family is entered by faith and enjoyed, enjoyed by obedience to the Father. Jesus says here, in verse 34, and he looked around about them, that sat, which sat about him and said, Behold, my mother and my brethren, 
For whosoever shall do the will of God, the same as my brother and my sister and my mother. So Jesus is, they say, Jesus, your mom and your brothers are here. You need to go talk to them. They're off on the side over there. Jesus says, oh, that's not my mother and my brother. These are. These are. I can't wait for one of my kids to try that on me. All right? <laughs> if my son comes up from kids' church today and he says, you're not my dad. Those are all my dad. Like, Get out of here, kid. Imagine Mary's like, boy, I'll still whip you. Right? Which makes me wonder if Jesus, the Son of God, was spanked. I don't know how that worked. But here's the point. The point is Jesus begins to say, these here, this is my family. This is my, if I can call it this word, and, and, and get, the, get the already but not yet, get the, the here and then of this. This is my lasting family. This is the family for all eternity. Who are they? They're the ones who come into, who enter the family by faith. But Jesus focuses here, and we do, we, we might trip on this if we're not careful. Jesus focuses then on this, and that is the ones who give evidence, and that is by obedience to the Father. You say, do we come into the family of God by obeying the Father? No but you absolutely enjoy the family by obeying the Father. And this is very practical. Every parent in here would understand when I give this example. My kids, my four kids, my three girls and my son, they do not ever hear in this house, if you want to be in this family and you want to stay in this family, you better obey. But everybody in here who grew up in any sense of, of, a, of a Christian family or in a, a family where your parents had rules, you might understand when I look at my kids and say, there's one real good way to enjoy this family, and that is obedience. Because the way of the transgressor is hard, Proverbs says. And so the way of childhood, if you want to transgress the rules of mom and dad, is what? Hard. Every parent in here should be like, yep, Amen. Right? Thank you. The point is, the family of God is enjoyed when we are obedient to the Father. Every one of us walks through the daily ups and downs of obedience. Many of us have had seasons of flat-out disobedience to God. And you can understand that church was miserable. The family of God was miserable. Anything related to the Christian life was miserable. Why? Because those who are a part of God's family enjoy God's family better when they live in obedience. Let me give this to you in another practical way. Very simply, you will absolutely enjoy the other people in this church more as you spend time with them, as you pray with and for them, and as you spend time in God's Word with them, you will begin to appreciate this family more. Now, in this point, we'd have to agree, right, that Jesus wants everybody to come into this family. Everybody into this family. Denny Burke said it like this, 
God's will for every person on the planet is for him or her to repent and believe in the gospel. Some by grace will respond. But it is God's desirous will that every person come to Christ in faith. Every person come to this family. But speaking of what we said at the introduction, we're not universalists. We understand not all will. Not all will. So let's let's make some cautious application here for a moment, and it will be done. I've got two statements, or two questions in one statement here. And I ask each of us with a physical family this question. Is your sense of family with God's people growing? Is your sense of family with God's people growing? My pastor when I was growing up would often say, if you don't enjoy church, you're, gonna, you're not going to enjoy heaven. And I, theologically, I don't think that works. But I do know this. You're going to be with one another for all eternity. I'm so sorry. Oh, no, just kidding. I ask you, is your sense of family in this room growing? Is your sense of family with one another growing? It should be. Growing Christians are not growing outside of the family. Christian life does not work that way according to the New Testament. And you know that I will say you cannot be obedient to the majority of the New Testament commands if you avoid the family of God. You might be sitting here today and saying, but you know, I'm busy. I need some family time. I need this. I need that. One of the best things you can do for family time for your family is to teach them the priority of the church. Teach them the priority of making their way here every Sunday morning. Making their way back for youth group. Making their way back for Awana when it's in session. Making their way back to engage in the family. Let your kids run around this place. Let them jump off the stage. Let them do flips around. the, the when, in, when the kids come up in a moment, you guys, some of you might be a little bit uneasy when they start running through the pews and chasing one another and playing tag in church. That's okay. This is their place too. It's their place too. Let the kids be kids around the church, but bring them. Let them engage. Say hi to them. A couple of our kids last week were having a conversation where I overheard one of them say, I'm not your friend anymore. And so we had, me and the three of them, the two of them, we had a counseling session. Right? It was wonderful. Talk to the kids. They love it. What are we teaching them? We're teaching them that they can be in this place too. So I ask you, Mom and Dad, is your sense of family with God's people growing? Harriet Connor, a mom, said this. Churches need natural families because they can show the church how to be a family. And isn't that true? But natural families also need the church. No family can or should be spiritually self-sufficient. Can I caution you for just a moment? Can I caution you against a very narrow view of church, which is this. We're going to hear pastor preach. Caution. You're coming to participate in the family of God. I'll be in Texas with my, my mom and dad in a couple weeks. I don't say to my kids, we're going to the house to listen to Papa talk. 
What are we going for? To spend time, make memories, and to love on your grandparents. That's why we're going. When you come to church, let your kids know what it means to stay and spend time with one another. Second question, is your family learning their place in God's family? I can't stress this enough. Is your family learning their place in God's family? I understand this morning that many of our children have not come to a place where they understood the gospel. They're they're, uh, not necessarily yet to the point of conversion. I get that about young children, but they need to feel like this is a place where they can be a part of this family. That when they come to the age where they can understand the gospel and decide to come to Christ in faith, where they can make a free decision to believe on the gospel, that they have a place in this family. This is not an adult-only church. This is not a single adult-only church. It's not a teenager church. It's not a kids-only church. It's It's a church for people of all ages. And we want to help our family grow up into the family of God. i got to quickly finish. Number three, this is a statement. And I hope that you get this in the redemptive landscape of the Bible. That family is at the heart of God's story. A temporal, broken family, which points to a redeemed, eternal family. Now, listen very carefully. Let me bring you into what, I, what I'll call, uh, what theologians call, a historical, redemptive view of Scripture and family for just a moment. Listen very carefully. Any Christian who has been in church any amount of time is going to know the truthfulness of this statement. Listen. That the first institution God created is a family. The other two institutions created by God, which belong to God, that submit to the authority of God are the church and government. Family, church, government. All three under the lordship of God. He's in charge of them all. But in the garden, what happened was the family that God ordained. By the way, that family began not when there was children, but when a husband and a wife, biblically man, woman, united. That's when the family began. You are a family, husband and wife. Even if the Lord has not given you children yet, you're a family. What happened in the garden, though, is because of the fall, that family was no longer, by the way, it wasn't even created in its perfection. It was not even created to fulfill every need because Adam and Eve still needed God. They needed God before sin entered into the world, as we read, Romans 5. They needed God before sin entered the world, And the question then is necessary. How much more did they need God after the first sin? If they had all that they needed for the joy of life before sin, now sin totally wrecks the family. In fact, the first two brothers, one is killed by the other. And the whole point of the family in the story of God for Adam and for Eve and for Cain and Abel and and every other family that comes after them is to say, our family's a bunch of sinners and we're pointing you to God. And then God gives us a family of Abraham, a family of faith, and Israel begins to show that. And that family's full of sinners. But that family is still saying, it's God, it's God, it's God, it's God. And then God gives us the church in the New Testament. And that family, that church, 
that called out group of people who are called unto God, we sit here and say, we're all sinners like the physical family and we're not here because we're all perfect. We're here saying, it's still God, it's still God and it's still God and will always be God. And the story of the Bible is a story of families, imperfect families saying, God and always God. And anything else, my friends, Anything else is a misrepresentation of God's call to the family in Scripture. So when Jesus is saying, these, these are my mother and my brothers, my sisters. What is he saying? These are the ones who from the beginning, from the beginning, these are the ones who have been a part of my family that will have no end. The eternal family. The spiritual family. Your family, and I said it to you, your family, mom and dad, your children, they do need you. But the greatest need they have from you is for you to say, it's not me, it's Jesus. It's Jesus. It's not me. So we hold these things in tension. Physical family, spiritual family. And Jesus calls us to bring them together. I, I spoke to this after we honored the graduates. My encouragement to you this summer is to, yes, flourish as a physical family. Rest together, play together, have fun together, enjoy the summer months together but do not neglect the, the biblical value of engaging your family with God's family. Don't neglect that. Because the gospel of Jesus Christ didn't just take you to a savior. The gospel of Jesus Christ brought you to a father. Brought you to a father. If you're not a part of the family of God, you only get in by one way. You don't work it. You don't baptize in you don't get sprinkled in, you don't get blessed in, you don't get prayed in. You come to the family of God by faith in Jesus Christ. The Christian gospel is not achieved. It is received. You receive Jesus by faith. Faith that He's the Son of God. Faith that He died on the cross for your sins. Faith that He rose again the third day proving that He is God who is able to die for your sins, able to give you an eternal home, and you believe on Jesus. That's how you get in the family. And if you're in, if you're in, welcome to the eternal family. We're going to be together for a long time. Might as well learn to enjoy each other. Amen? Thanks for listening today. If you're listening for the first time, we would love to hear from you. Maybe you have a question about the gospel of Jesus. If so, we'd like you to send us an email at hello at ravenswoodbaptist.org. If you're a regular listener to our podcast and you would like to donate to the media ministry and outreach ministry of Ravenswood, your gift would allow us to do more in an effective way to get the gospel out. Thank you for partnering with us in ministry in Chicago and around the world.